21 years ago this week, ironically, March 31st, 2000, a movie was released called High Fidelity. John Cusack, Jack Black, before Jack Black was weird, or maybe he was already on his way to being weird, I don't know. The little-known Danish actor Ibn Hijeli, a huge cast, enormous cast. It was half a lifetime ago for those in the 45-plus category. It was an entire life ago for, I don't know, a vast percentage of the Peloton that exists today at the elite levels. I digress. Been feeling a little bit older than normal lately just because of that fact that 21 years ago I was able to drink and also watch High Fidelity. And there I am still today doing the same things that I guess I was doing at the time. I know that there was a remake in 2020. I know that it starred Zoe Kravitz. I am fundamentally required to say that on IMDb, the Lenny, the Zoe Kravitz version of High Fidelity ranks higher at 7.7 stars than does the John Cusack version, which had 7.5 stars. Yes, there's about 160,000 more votes for the 2001. So I don't know, data, data analysis. We can go on. But this movie, High Fidelity, in 2000, is part of the Midwest canon of movies for those of us who grew up in the 90s and came of age in the 2000s. It defined that level of angst that we all must have been experiencing and, and was only appropriate to experience at the ages of 18, 19, 20, 21. Beyond that, you just you just got to get on with it. But it was a movie that I committed to memory. And I don't want to ruin that memory with a reboot. Plus, super burned by reboots lately. You only have to look at Point Break or Charlie's Angels or the version of Spider-Man that happened between Tobey Maguire and Tom Holland. Nobody knows who he is. It was a mistake. I'm sorry. Okay, his name was Andrew Garfield, and I'm sure he's good at other things, but hashtag not my Peter Parker. So, High Fidelity, it ends with this scene where John Cusack is curating through his autobiographically sorted collection of vinyl. Yes, we're still in that point in time where vinyl was the biggest thing ever, and Pearl Jam released an entire screamy song, Spin the Black Circle, that was taunting and lamenting the world that was compact disc and how it had ruined society. But he has this salient point, John Cusack does, right there in that moment. When you're making a mixed tape for somebody you care about, there's a rule to it. You got to start big. You got to take it up a notch on the next one. But then you got to bring it down. You got to mellow it a little bit because you just can't constantly strive for the pinnacle because it'll you'll just burn out the sun you will fly too close to it like Icarus so what does that have to do with us well the last three shows that we've put together here have been serious they've been challenging talking about bike racing during the coronavirus pandemic talking about very legitimate issues with regard to women's salaries talking about the pro road tour and the ways that we can make it better so I wanted to knock it down a step from that level of serious and provide you a high quality, high fidelity level 
forgive the pun, but you know who's coming on the show, content that is designed to bring us all back, bring us down to level with Matt, little guy Allen, and Michael Bodekheimer, the king of the media pit puns. I'll let you decide who is the king of the media pit in general, but I think we all have to admit Michael wins when it comes down to puns. I'm Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. All these guys are part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. If you don't know what the Wide Angle Podium is, head on over to WideAnglePodium.com. Check out the full bevy of shows, including the Slow Ride Podcast, Cyclocross Radio, the Grodio, the Swift-inspired Nowhere Fast, which is no longer just about Zwift racing. Head on over to YouTube. Check out what Bill's been doing with the top 10 moments in Wout's career leading up to Milan-San Remo. Check out what Matt, little guy Allen, is doing with his incredibly visual YouTube videos of little previews of big races. Lots of stuff. Please become a member. Help support this content creator-owned network. So we got Michael. We got Matt. We're talking about food. And we're talking about food in bike racing and how we live to eat with bikes or we bike to live to eat or something of that fact. But it's not about what's the healthiest food for you. It's not about what is the food that's going to make you crit the fastest. It's about the food that's going to help you live the richest, fullest life and all those wonderful things that are associated with food like camaraderie, friendship, society, just the good times of life that you remember and that you think about when you think back to a particular meal that you had a few days ago, a few months ago, a few years ago. I know the last time that I went out before the pandemic was at Q by Peter Chang. My wife and I sat down knowing that this was probably the last time we were going to be able to eat out in a restaurant for a long time. And oh my God, it was one of the best meals that we had had for, I don't know, months before that and probably months after. And it wasn't because the food was anything specifically beautiful or wonderful or tasty, but it was this idea that went with what we were doing right there. And there is an idea that comes with food, that comes with the communal breaking of bread. So I got Michael, I got little guy. We are going to break bread communally with you and share our insights, our thoughts, and everything that we can possibly imagine and think about when it comes to what it is that provides us those calories that we go out and ride with. So way too much talking on my part. Check out High Fidelity if you haven't already. It is perfection. Here we go. The foodies. Growing up in the 80s, watching cartoons, my favorite cartoon of them all was Scooby-Doo. And I think Scooby-Doo was at its best when they did like those one or two shows where they had like Batman and Robin come in and help them solve something or like the A-Team come in and solve something. It was like these crossover episodes. And it was always the Adam West Batman 
So, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek. I think that if this was like the Christian Bale Batman, it would have been way too dark for Scooby-Doo. But I feel like this episode here right now is like that mighty Scooby-Doo crossover where Batman and Robin join and then the entire A-team is there and you've got like Looney Tunes characters in with it all because this is the episode of Criterium Nation where we bring on the heaviest of heavy hitters. So we've got you know Matt, the little guy, Alan from Minneapolis and Michael Bodekheimer, probably most famous from his time in the media pit. So I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves. But first, I'm going to turn to you, Michael, and I'm going to say, Michael, how are you doing? Well, Rob, I'm doing about as well as pineapple on pizza. And that is I'm doing fantastic. Rob, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, happy to be here on Criterium Nation. I'm, I think it's very important you get the advice and the thoughts from a Masters Cat 3 crit racer. I mean, I think that's sort of, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm representing the people. I mean, you get a lot of the, like the really talented folks on the show, the, the future stars, the current stars, but like, I don't think you've had an episode with like, just, you know, Joe Dirt, Pack Fodder, and I'm here and ready to represent. And Matt, how is it going in Minneapolis today? It's going, it's going, it's going really well here in Minneapolis today. I um, am a cat two technically, but I am definitely not bringing cat two levels to this podcast tonight. Uh, it's been a few years since I've been in a crit, so it is funny to be on a show called Criterium Nation. I think it's been since 2017 when I got dropped on the first lap in my first crit as a dad. Are you master's age, Matt? I am, I'm 39, so yeah, I guess my racing age is 40 now. Oh my God. So how many of us can race at nationals for cyclocross in Chicago this year in the 40 to 44 category? How many wide-angle podium hosts can be in that race? I mean, me, you, little guy, Zach, Tim, Spencer? Spencer, Yes. Man, I gotta think about that. I'm pretty sure Spencer can. I mean, we we could we could fill the team. Yeah, like this this could be. I mean, we could be like the sauces trying to take down. I mean, whatever like X Pro in in the front of the field. We'll just you know we'll do the old fall down in front. Yeah, like pretty much. Yeah, that's it. So Bodie, which sauce are you? That's kind of the question. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm Michael Vanter now. All right, I guess I'll be Lauren Sweet then. Can I be Ellie? I, I feel like I feel like I'm akin to Ellie because I always have the Ezer beef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though you're the, even though you're like the cross rookie, sure, we'll give we'll give you the team leadership. I love to eat. It is my favorite thing to do during the course of the day. I wake up in the morning looking forward to having my pancakes and bacon and eggs and things like that, and like I schedule my day around that next opportunity to be in the kitchen. And working from home for the last couple of months or year now, I've noticed that my time in the kitchen has dramatically increased, as has my my waistline a little bit. But I thought it would be great to get us all together to talk about not the healthy part of food or the part of food where we talk about cliff bars and goo wrappers and things like that. This is to talk about the good part of food, the living to eat part of food. And Michael, being in New Orleans, where you are, 
I can think of no place in America, at least, that loves its food more than New Orleans or that celebrates it. What's your go-to place that you you find yourself in New Orleans? <laughs> oh, man. You know, like, New Orleans does have a great food culture, and and people love the food here. And I, would, I, would, would it be sacrilegious if I said that my go-to place is Raising Cane's? I had Zaxby's the other day. I had Zaxby's and I loved everything about it. So like Raising Cane's? I mean, look, look, obviously it's it's something I get while I'm working on the road. Um, I don't know. Like I don't love like traditional like New Orleans food. I will say, back up. Let me back up. I will say this. My go-to spot, this is very New Orleanians, I think, is the gas station that has like some of the best Po' boys, uh, it's called the Shorts. What is it called? It's can't shortstop. I don't know. Anyway, it's a gas station on Clearview Avenue on either side of the road. There is these these this gas station with the the deli, and you get the po' boy ham and cheese with American cheese. Very important. Gotta get the American cheese. Get it grilled. Side of fries. That's my go-to uh, meal in New Orleans. Matt, you haven't spent as much time in the American South uh, as Michael and I have. Going to school in Mississippi, we became aficionados of the um, gas station chicken, the gas station dinners. Two o'clock in the morning when all good decisions are made, chicken on a stick, or burritos from the, I don't even remember what gas station it was on Lamar. Obviously, you've made terrible decisions leading up to that point in time in in that particular evening, so why not just top it all off? Now, being on the other end of the river from Bodie, what is the quintessential Minneapolis-St. Paul dish? Man, I don't know if we have a very quintessential anything when it comes to food here in Minneapolis. Uh, we definitely have that at two in the morning, almost nothing would be open and you'd have no option of food to eat at <laughs> two in the morning in Minneapolis. Especially if it was a two in the morning thing on a regular night. I mean, you got to go to hard times. You got to go to the West Bank, go to the hard times, your greasy spoon cooperative restaurant slash coffee shop the most interesting people not necessarily the best food but always is the perfect late night spot right around the corner from all the bars where you would have made those bad decisions right before and you will definitely get insane bang for the buck there and you know pancakes to burritos whatever 22 hours a day so what are the two hours that they're not operating that's crazy four to six or something they closed. They closed for a couple two hours just to clean, you know, just to mop that floor. You you would, if you'd been in there, you would appreciate that they at least took those two hours to try to clean, to at least pretend they cleaned because you can't tell. You got to change out the the fat and the deep fat fryer. Yeah, every once every couple of weeks. Let's start where every day begins with breakfast. I'm going to state a thesis, a hypothesis, and I want you guys to tell me I'm wrong. I want you to argue with me. I love it when people tell me I'm not right and then they bring the noise. I think the egg sandwich, whether it's on a bagel or an English muffin or toast, whatever it happens to be, the whatever way you like it, an egg sandwich is the best bike racing meal ever for breakfast. Tell me I'm wrong. I, I agree. I kind of agree with you, Rob. I think 
one of my most favorite uh, pre-race meals when was when I constructed it like a homemade McGriddle at my friend's house. In fact, I think she actually, she, we went to a bike race in Jackson, Mississippi. The heart, we were staying at the Harkey's house and she cooked us this big breakfast and I wanted to take it to go. And so I slapped a couple pancakes. She fried up me a couple eggs, threw some bacon in there. I think I slathered some jam on it and took it with me to the cross race. And I ate it, you know, there after I'd, uh, put my skin suit on, but, uh, and I think I had a really good race. So I'm like all about sort of the, I like a pre-race meal. That's not, I don't want to eat a ton of it, but I want it to be like stick to my ribs, fatty, you know, a little bit of grease, nothing, you know, but not too much, but I want something, you know, that's, that's hearty. It's going to get me through those first efforts. So I, I'm all about the egg sandwich, Rob. I, I believe it. Now, Matt, you seem to be offering a slightly different opinion. Well, I don't like eggs at all in any, any circumstance. <laughs> oh, so, I, and I am definitely an oatmeal on race day kind of guy. Might be a couple bowls. I, I feel like I race better when I'm kind of hungry. So, I, I, I don't even go with a very big breakfast on race day. Did you ever, uh, did you see what Wout's oatmeal was? No. Did you see that? What's he put in did it? You, like it had like a, like chicken, uh, chicken stock. Oh. And like, uh, uh, I mean, it had, had pretty much anything in it. Yeah. Like, I like oatmeal too, Matt, but I, I will put a fried egg over some still cut oats. Oh. See, I put uh, olive oil in over- my oatmeal. That's my weird thing is I want, I want like more that more fatness in there sort of things. Spencer laughed at me for years about this, but I think he's starting to, he tried it and he's coming around with that. I would always add, you know, like add a bunch of peanut butter and a bunch of olive oil into it and just fan it up. Now, I, I, I don't like the egg, but I did have a teammate years ago who we'd show up at his house to go to a race. He'd be driving a lot of times. He would put an egg on the pan, put the pan on. So just barely on, I mean, if it was, you know, just you could barely see the flame and he would get ready, He'd run around the house frantically and you'd forget that he had that egg there. And then right before you'd leave, he'd grab this, this hardened, like, fl- just you, like you look at it and you, you'd forget that it was an egg. It just looked like something you scraped off the floor somewhere and he'd eat that in the car. But one time I didn't remember he did that. We got in the car, I'm in the back seat, and he had thrown it onto the dash, just on its own, not on a plate, just egg on the dash. And I'm in the back seat and I look up and I see this thing on the dash and I think to myself, he has the dirtiest car. What is that on his dash? And then right after that, before I could, you know, I didn't realize it was an egg. He just grabs this thing that looks just like a pile of dirt and just shoves it in his mouth. And I was horrified. I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, it's the egg. It's the egg I was cooking for 30 minutes on the lowest setting humanly possible. But he was good. He's a good bike racer. So, you know, it worked for him. Some people are good in spite of their efforts. And then there are people who try hard. Yeah, who knows? He he had a lot of theories about when the, he would say when the fire is burning, you can throw anything in. So no matter what, it was just, he would just kind of eat the worst thing possible. But if the fire was going, just shovel it in. I have one problem with this, Matt. Only one egg. How can you only eat one egg? It's at two minimum. Maybe it was two. I didn't get a full count <laughs> on it. I just know that the time in the car, I was horrified. I thought he was eating garbage off off his off his dashboard. <laughs> 
And he he needed to lead me out that day. So like I cannot have my teammates eating literal garbage. <laughs> Did you end up getting a good lead out that day? Or? I think that was a race that I did get a good lead out though I there was a race we went to once as a team when Super Oak was there and Spencer was there and Sky Mark was there and me and someone else and we we couldn't decide who to work for so we just did a town line sprint while we were all warming up and I won the town line sprint and then I told everybody you know you shouldn't work for me I don't feel good like I feel bad (laughs) today I think I had a little too much to drink the night before but they they said no we're working for you you won the town line sprint and so they dragged me around the whole race. And even though I got dropped at one point right before like two corners to go, uh, Phil, one of my teammates, dragged me back on the bunch. And then Spencer, Tim, I think, led me out. And I think I got six or something. So it was a fine result. But, man, I felt terrible. But I, I, I stuck it out. They kept telling me, we're working for you. It's, like, it's, not, it's a bad idea. But I started watching at the Super Rookies suggestion the um... – unexpected day or the least expected day, the movie star documentary. And I watched what they were eating for breakfast before stages of the Giro or the tour. And, you know, then I go on and I listen to Ant McCrossin during the course of cyclocross world. And I think he spent a lap and a half of both the men's and women's race describing what different people were eating during the course of that I think there is a language gap. I don't really know what porridge is or what muesli is or what the difference is between those various different things and just oatmeal. I want to talk about steel cut versus rolled oats. Now, this is a huge divide in my house. We, I do the steel cut. My wife has all the rolled oats. I'm afraid that this might be like one of those things in our marriage that we can never agree on. What is your guys' feeling on steel cut versus rolled? Yeah, I'm 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 on it too. Steel cut I think is better. But in a pinch, right? The rolled, you gotta go with it. Why is it so much better? Why why are the other people in the world wrong? I'm curious. I think a lot of people are wrong just because steel cut is a pain. You have to think ahead. And and I think a lot of people just haven't had it done right. I know in my young, in like early 20s, I think I probably tried to cook it, you know, wake up, throw it in and do it right away. And it probably didn't t- work or I burned it or something and I sort of swore off it for a while. But if you, if you do it right and plan ahead, it's you have a good experience. It is better. I don't know. I think it, it like holds like like all these things you want to put in your oatmeal. I feel like the steel cut holds it much better. It's It's a more heartier texture and yeah like i said like that with fried egg is is delicious i like the chia flax wheat germ and then dried figs diced nice and neatly tossed in there it just it just makes my day that sounds good so all all sweet you kind of all of a sweet oats guy No, no savory in there no hot sauce no 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 if i'm gonna go savory i'm gonna do sausage on the side sort of savory you never let anything mix I said, you brought up muesli and I, there was a time when, when we, my girlfriend, Emily and I, when we were traveling to races, we were making overnight oats and it was like, we'd get the oats and we'd put yogurt in it and nuts and fruits and let it soak in the cooler in the hotel room overnight. And then the next morning I'd wake up and eat it. And I got to say, like, that was a pretty hearty meal 
my very first cat one, two, three road race. It was like 80 mile race. I ate a jar, a little mason jar of overnight oats in the morning, did the race. I had one cliff bar for 80 miles and that was it. And I finished the race. I don't know how that happened. I have never, like, usually I can never eat enough calories. Like, I just burn through it so fast. But for some reason, the combination of the overnight oats with the one cliff bar, I made it through an 80-mile road race in southern Louisiana. I don't, I've never been able to repeat that, but it was some crazy combination. I mean, I didn't get it have a good result or anything, but I finished my first one, two, three race. Let's talk mistakes. I made the mistake once of thinking that Waffle House was acceptable pre-race, pre-ride food. When I lived in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, there was a Waffle House that was down the block from me. And I think it was one day that I was just out of food or something like that in the house. And I decided I'm just going to go to Waffle House and I'm going to get their waffles. And this is going to be okay. This is good enough for me. And I almost immediately regretted it. Have you guys run into a situation where you've done that, where you've you've gone down that path and you've been like, nope, this was a bad, 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 bad choice. And now I regret all of my decisions in life. My, my main one related to racing is I ate a lot of cereal one morning. I, had, I was going to do a crit. People may know it from when the Nature Valley here at Nature Valley Grand Prix in Minnesota. So it was in Stillwater. Like, I don't know what the hill is, 20% or something. It's a very steep and hard crit. You just go up and you bomb back down. It's half climb and it's, yeah, 15, 20% most of it. So I ate a lot of cereal thinking I needed to have a lot of energy. And very quickly when the race started, I realized I'd eaten way too much too close to race time. So I made it up. You start at the bottom, you go up the climb and I made it through the first lap with the front group. And the second time up the climb, I was like, oh man, I don't feel good. And it, the climb is in two parts. You do one big part and it levels out for like a block and then another part. And in that leveling out on the second lap, I just pulled over and threw up. And that was that. <laughs> just way too much. And then I felt, I felt fine. Did you try and take a free lap? Is that, can you do that? Is that the, the rules? You know, maybe. <laughs> I was a little worried about myself at that point. So I just, I called it a day. You know, it was also, this race is in, you know, in the summer too. So it was humid. It was probably in the 80s. It was humid. I had way too much food. You go straight up a hill. Bad things happen. I feel like that um, eating a bad breakfast and throwing up on the side of, side of the road is not an authorized mechanical. I'm just going to go out there on the limb. I mean, if your saddle falling is not a mechanical, that's probably not one. But as as someone once ta taught me at my very first crit clinic, if you're stuck behind a crash, just grab some dirt and rub it on your jersey and say you crashed. You got to lift up the one leg of the shorts. <laughs> right. There, yeah. Yeah. We've all we've all been there. Now, I think the most important thing, aside from having consensus now that the egg sandwich is the best pre-race meal of all is coffee. Now, coffee is king in bike racing. I never had coffee until I started racing bikes. Like I used to get up at 4.30 every morning to go to swim practice. No coffee, no nothing like that. It was, it was Satan's, you know, 
food. But then I get into bikes and all these bike racers are like, you've got to have coffee. You've got to have coffee. You've got to have coffee. And so I don't know when the wrong time of the day is for coffee. I don't think that there is one. And I don't think when it comes down to bike racing that there is ever a wrong time for coffee. But do you guys, are you regular coffee guys in the morning? Are you coffee guys after lunch? Do you switch it up from coffee to espresso? How How is your coffee intake? I mean, I drink coffee every day, but I'm only a morning morning coffee drinker. You know, like it literally gets me going. But that's it. Like, I, so I will, if I'm going to the club ride, I'll drink a cup at home of coffee in the morning um, in our Chemex, you know, just drip. And I'll go, I'll go to the cafe for the meetup and then I'll get, like, I'll get an espresso. Just another, just part of the social aspect. I enjoy that sitting there. Um, I enjoy the taste of espresso and they give you a little soda water. I, I like that, those flavors. Um, but then that's it. I don't, I don't drink any, like, I don't drink coffee past my two cups in the morning. I don't drink, if I could do an afternoon ride, I, I wouldn't get a coffee anywhere. Um, it'd be a Coke or a Topo Chico or something like that. But the thing about coffee and bike racing is in, in, in part of why it's like only a morning thing is, is, is coffee really can really coincides with the PRP. So if you time those things correctly, it's okay. But if you happen to be on the way to a bike race and you just finished your coffee and you're in the middle of nowhere and you're hoping there's a gas station, you know, like it, there's like, it's like a double-edged sword with there's too much coffee before a bike race is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the line for the porta potty at the parking lot for the, the 10 a.m. time trial is always a dicey situation. Right, right. So you, yeah, you don't, I don't want to have too much. I want to make sure we're good, you know? Now, Matt, you are on record as loving your willows. You know, and and we're going to get to the, does Tim really bring a jar of Willas with him to the coffee stop in a second? But <laughs> I, I feel like you're an espresso guy more than anything. You love your espresso. Uh, no, I'm not a big coffee drinker. I am a tea drinker 99% of the time. My mind is blown. And I am... Only a coffee drinker really at bike races because there's often somebody selling coffee or giving coffee away and on rides for the same reason that you stop somewhere, you can usually get a decent cup of coffee. It's really hard to get a good cup of tea out on a ride in a small town in Minnesota. They'll brew it for you in a cardboard cup or something, you know, a little takeaway card. And there's nothing worse than a cup of tea that's been brewed in cardboard. So I used to get tea on rides. We'd stop on a group ride, but I just switched up to if I'm going to get something hot, I'm going to get a coffee because while I'm not a huge fan, it's it's so much better than a poorly done cup of tea. Yeah, that that does make a whole heck of a lot of sense. For me, the biggest question is, what is the timing of the coffee? Because I am not a morning person. If, if anybody, the reason why I like crits is because they happen in the afternoon or the evening. Like even then I... Th- think it's probably still too early in the morning. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do these interviews here at nighttime and I always end by telling the, the guests like, hey, sorry, you know, really enjoying the conversation, but it's time to go. I got to go have dinner. And like, they'll be like, it's 10 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, well, we just, we should have lived in Spain, but we live in Washington, D.C. That's sort of the world that we live in. So 
getting to the Dean and DeLuca's or to the Starbucks or to whatever it happens to be for me before the ride is always dicey. You know, like there are those rides at 9.01 is the same as 3 p.m. sort of thing. And I never go on those rides because like I can't make it. So I like to do the mid ride coffee drink. Like you go for the 40 miles or 30 miles or whatever you get to the mid and that's where you get your coffee. But you also can't just get the coffee. you got to have the pastry or the Danish. And so I now know where the best rural Maryland pastries and Danishes are. What do you guys think is appropriate here? Do you do the coffee before the ride, middle of the ride, or after the ride? I'm before. I I, I like that. Usually most rides, I, I prefer a ride where it's the stop is maybe a turnaround. It's a water point. It's a, a quick stop, and then we get back on the road. I think that partly has to do with living in, in New Orleans, and it's it's, you know, in the summer, most of the year, it's super hot by 9 a.m. So you don't want to be on the road, you know, past 9 30, 10. So it's get the ride done as soon as possible. So that's why you do the coffee beforehand. And, and then, you know, maybe if you're lucky beers in the park, if you can find a shady tree to sit under afterwards. I, I'd like before, if it's a lot, anything over maybe 60, 70 miles, then I would say a mid. Otherwise I kind of like to push through on a ride in between zone. I just get tired. Once I stop my body, my body says, that's it. We're done. I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. We're still, we're 35 miles from home. <laughs> Dude, you have to keep going. So, but if it's a long ride, yeah. Nice before and mid it's the way to go. The hard part is the winter is when you stop and you do the coffee and you do the pastry in the middle of the ride. And then you've got to, you're like, you're happy. You're, you're content with sitting in the cafe, this is in the pre days when you could be inside places and then you come on out and it's like 35 degrees or 40 degrees and you're ice cold and you're like, okay, great. Now I basically have to sprint for like the next five minutes to get my heart rate going. That is what nightmares are made out of. You know, four hour rides are not meant to include sprints except for town lines. That's it. Or county or state. Now, This is critical for me. We have a game. I made up the rules. um, So it, I, I, I'm right. Everybody else is wrong, but the, the rules are town line is three points. County line is six points. State line is nine points. And whoever has the most by the end of it wins. It, May not work out west where states are really big and counties are enormous, but here where you can cross three state lines, you can start racking up some serious points in the course of a four-hour ride. Is that something that's shared among the group rides? We never had a point system. I've never had a point system. Not as many state lines out here, obviously. You can go to Wisconsin. That's about it on a ride from the Twin Cities. Iowa, if you're insanely ambitious but yeah county lines they're not very good about marking county lines around these parts when i would go on line uh rides with spencer back in the day all the time there wasn't really a county line marker between st paul so from st paul to minneapolis is also a separate county there wasn't a county line marker or anything but there's there's some sort of sign right in the middle of the bridge the Marshall Avenue Bridge. So we would count that as a county line. 
uh, marker as well, even though it was sort of an unofficial. We sort of added it to the thing. But for the most part, you go on a lot of long rides and never see a county line sign. You just have to do the city ones around here for whatever reason. The Giro, the Giro doesn't have any county lines or, excuse me, parishes. Exactly. I was going to say, there, there, are, there are no county lines down here. Uh, it's all a parish line. And, or, and Orleans Parish is the city of Orleans. So do you ride like you mentioned, uh, Rob, the Giro, you're always in Orleans. Um, you can go west and you can go kind of south and go into different parishes. But yeah, I mean, we have, we've never had a point system for the sprints. I mean, like the, our club ride had, had two or three uh, sprint points, but I never thought to to include a, a point system, and we we are revamping our the semi tough cycling club ride, you know, post pandemic, and maybe maybe I'll include some sort of point system into it. I like I like that, Rob. It's good. When the pandemic set in, I started doing something that I'm embarrassed to mention, but since we're all friends here and nobody else is listening to us, right? Uh, I I might as well fess up to this. In in DC where I live. I like to ride to Poolsville. It's like this, it's a four hour ride depending on how you do it. And at Poolsville is like at the two and a half hour mark. So you're on your way back in and, and, you know, typically in the winter you'll have the wind behind you. So it's a good stopping point or a rest point or a refilling point. But because the pandemic shut down all of the good cafes, the only place that I could stop anymore was Taco Bell or McDonald's. And Taco Bell is always a mistake. <laughs> so I started stopping at the McDonald's in the middle of my ride and getting a double quarter pounder with cheese and french fries and going into the park in the gazebo and like hiding behind there, like my secret shame of eating this. Am I alone? Please tell me I am not alone. Like we have all secret shame eaten bad for you food in the middle of a ride. Don't don't be ashamed, Rob. The pandemic has changed. Look, look. I mean, I'm a person who is in my car a lot during the day, and you can't. Yeah, you're right. You can't go anywhere, but the drive-ins are open. So I've eaten my fair amount of fast food uh, this year, and whatever, it's fine. Sometimes it tastes pretty good. I do think, though, I am. I definitely am of the belief that while you're riding your bike, you can eat whatever you want because it's just gonna burn away. It's fuel, and that. So there is no nothing. On a ride, you should be ashamed about eating. In fact, you should you should try to be as adventurous as you can. Um, you know, get that spicy pickle, uh, get that double quarter pounder with cheese, like get the get the slurpee. I, just like eat it all, love it, enjoy it. I'm all about it. So no shame here, Rob. I'm going to the Indian lunch buffet next. It's going to be great. Okay, all right. That's buffet. You're talking about like sitting. No, you can't do. Come on, it's like. Get get the little the hot dog that's on the last row at the Seven Eleven. That's like nice and wrinkled. That'll get you through the last two hours home. Yes, no no shame when you're out on a ride and you're hungry. Sometimes you just want the thing that you don't want ninety nine percent of the time. But when you're in the middle of the ride and you're getting hungry and you're a little cold, that 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 thing that you can't imagine most of the time or you tell yourself not to that becomes the only food really that you want what's the weirdest thing you've seen somebody bring with them on a ride there was a while that i was big into 
the handmade, homemade, whatever it was from a recipe book that you would wrap up in tinfoil and you'd stuff it in the back of your pocket thing and you'd be like, oh yeah, here's my rice bar. It's crumbling in my hand and there's no way I can eat it while actually riding, but it's really healthy. (laughs) What are the weirdest things that you've seen people reach into the back of their pocket and pull out? I might be the one that's the most around here, the folks I've ridden with that's done that because I was always the one bringing muffins on rides and just carrots and things like that. So I'm I'm probably the guilty one. Like just a just a carrot? Like you just had like a carrot with like the top yeah. hanging out like over like I wouldn't leave the green top on necessarily, but yeah, I definitely used to bring carrots on a lot of rides when I was training a lot more. Um carrots were pretty common. It's a lot of rides would be peanut butter sandwich, two carrots maybe an apple that I found on a tree on the way out or plums in the fall. If you ride down to the the cross, the best place to ride cross practice here, like at the river bottoms, you ride straight south from my house through a couple suburbs and there's a ton of wild plum trees. So when it was cross preseason, end of August into early September, that's when the plums are ripe. So a lot of times you don't need to bring anything on the ride. You ride down, you pick a bunch of little plums. They're like, silver dollar plums you load your pockets up with silver dollar plums you go down to the river you do your intervals you eat a couple plums you do your intervals back and then you're good and then you know there was a good apple tree in richfield i'd always grab an apple on the way to cross practice for that so are you just taking people's property now (laughs) isn't that how it works no the 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 plums is they're in um there's like a uh a power line right away that's kind of a continuous park through Bloomington or through Richfield and Bloomington down to the river bottoms. And so there's just wild, you know, wild plum trees all along that. So I would just go and pick the ones, you know, most of them are kind of terrible. Plums don't grow very well around here. So um, you just get as many good ones as you can, load the pockets up. Perfect. Really putting the the phrase hunter gatherer uh, to like a new definition there, hunting those KOMs and gathering those plums. <laughs> Look, I'm Matt Allen. Yeah. Like, also, property is theft, Rob. So it's fruit is free. I think. <laughs> I, yes. Okay. So, little guy, I swear on one, like a really old Slow Ride podcast episode, and I, I want to go on record and say I've listened to all of them. I'm sorry. Uh, I just I discovered you guys are on episode 30, Ouch. I think, and then went back. I swear you told a story about someone who brought Tupperware like in their jersey pocket and then like sat up and like ate it with the spoon. Like, oh, am I imagining this or did this? <laughs> I don't remember this. So I don't oh. think it was me. It sounds it sounds possible, but I, I do not remember that. Hats off to whoever that was that did that, though. That That's power move. You're not worried at all about somebody attacking you if you're got a spoon out. No, that's power, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could tech. I mean, like I have small Tupperware containers, and obviously, you could just fit it in your jersey pocket and a spoon. I mean, I think the weird. I I don't know. I can't think of anything weird that I've seen, Rob. But I think the kind of funniest thing that I've brought that's gotten looks is uh, this is before Tom Scoyne started to make them cool. Was potatoes? You just boil some potatoes and and just put them in your jersey pocket and like yeah it's, so it's good. a good one so tasty and that's and yeah rob i i went through a phase i made the the scratch labs rice cakes and they were good but the thing is like a you'd make a whole sheet of them and then like you can't eat 
those straight and they didn't like stay good. And you had to, you always had to like bring them and like pawn them off on your group rep members. Cause you're like, I made 20 of these. Like I can't eat them all. They're going to go bad. Um, but yeah, they are kind of hard to eat and they're never like quite, it's, you know, the one thing I saw someone uh, eat was uh spam. I'm going to not say this right. Spam musabi, spam musabi. Um, it's essentially like seaweed. It's like rice with spam in the middle wrapped in seaweed. And to me, that is like the perfect ride food because it comes in the, the container that you can eat. Um, that's like the evolution of the, the scratch labs rice bar. Yeah. I always have problems environmentally with the Ziploc bag. Like I would stuff a bunch of apricots or dried apricots or figs or, whatnot or dates into a, a Ziploc bag and then it would be done. I'd, I'd eat them all during the ride. And then afterwards I'd be like, am I going to throw this Ziploc bag out? Can I reuse it? Kind of. I mean, Tupperware, I'd love to be able to slide some Tupperware into the back pocket and just like kill it that way. My favorite thing is white jerseys because white jerseys end up not being white very rapidly. You know, like you have to be really good at laundry in order to keep them white. And my favorite thing is the brown streak in the pocket because they've got the chocolate bar and their hands are always chocolate covered when they're reaching in there. And you're like, OK, you're the, you're right handed. I can see you. I know you're there, my friend. That's why black is sometimes just a better color than white when it comes down to bike racing. I know that. You know, Matthew Vanderpool has his white shorts and, you know, we've got the AG2R guys who are brown short guys. They, they can mask all the chocolate they want to, you know, mask there. I think I think we need to focus on how your food is going to fit into your pocket scheme a little bit more. Well, that's why handlebar bags became so popular, right? It's because with you can bring anything. I mean, I brought pizza you know, cold pizza, that was a perfect, to me, I mean, I can talk for days about pizza, but I think the leftover pizza is probably the best ride food. And I'm, I'm not race, you can't eat during a race, but like the the big winter base mile ride, midway, 50 miles in, you pull out a slice of cold pizza and everybody in your group ride is looking at you like, oh, fuck, fuck you. Like that looks delicious. Like I want that. Um, that's, you know, and then, and then like, they're all like burrito size. You can pick up a sandwich and put it in there. You can bring a sandwich. That's to me is, is the, the, the true like benefit of the handlebar bag. And I've jumped on board putting those sandwiches in there. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. I, I just really for years, yeah. Putting stuff in my pockets. I wanted just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich mid ride, but if it wouldn't fit, I wouldn't bring it. But once I had, that or I had a saddle, you know, big enough saddlebag and slide a peanut butter and jelly in there. It hits the spot. So there's this weird thing that happens on the West Coast. The mid-ride winery stop or the mid-ride brewery stop. Yeah. I don't like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I went for a ride with somebody in near Yosemite. I was, wor- I was working near Yosemite for, for my lawyer job. And I was just like, I want to go riding. I I know that this is a great place to ride. Hey, you're the local dude. Can you show me where to go? And he took me for a ride. And then like up in the middle of the ride, we stop at a brewery. Like 
there was no announcement that this would be happening, like no bring your ID or a credit card. This is only a two hour ride. So I'm kind of feel like it might defeat the point <laughs> well, of the ride. But like, is that yeah. is that a weird thing to happen? Because like they all seem to think that it's a pretty normal like, oh, yeah, we'll end the ride at the winery. Yeah, that's not a thing that happens here, at least that I'm aware of. Maybe end end at a patio, but not mid. I would not want to drink mid ride. You know, if, if, if I'm having a drink and I have 10 blocks to slink home afterwards that's one thing but i don't want to do 20 miles with a drink rob never been to a winery mid-ride and that seems first of all it, like can you get in and just your kit do they allow that as like a dress code i don't know there was no questions about it this was a well practiced routine in this particular town i'm not like particularly into the mid-ride booze stop but i'm i'm not totally against it there are especially with a a beer that's like kind of refreshing, but also has electrolytes in it. So I'm thinking of the Modella Micheladas or like the one, they're like the lime flavored ones um, that are pretty salty. You get like a, well, not now, but maybe pre pandemic, you go to the the gas station and you get there, they come in the 24 ounce cans and you kind of split it with the ride homes from friends you know it's like it's not a ton of booze but like it's also got all the salt and like kind of like i don't know i'm, I'm into that maybe <laughs> i could do it maybe we're we're making new we're making new ideas for all of new orleans i can see how new orleans bike racing is going to change by virtue of this show fundamentally improving it one step at a time right yeah yeah one step in <laughs> Mid mid ride boost stops, yeah. I mean, you guys, don't you have drive through? We have drive through daiquiri shops, um, and it's a weird thing that I've even talked to some police officers about how it's legal, and you know, it's technically you're you're not you're not taking it and drinking it. You keep the the top of the paper on the straw, you know. I I've been made fun of by certain members of the wide angle podium because I do all of my riding in metric. So like my Strava is in metric and my Wahoo is programmed to metric. So like somebody says, how long did you ride? This typically happened at work. They'd be like, how long did you go ride during lunch? And I'd be like 75 K it sounds impressive to them. And it also sounds like they have no idea how long I was gone. So it's like, okay, cool. We got you. But we have the century, 100 miles. It's always been this like benchmark for bike riders. You make it to 100 miles and like the world suddenly changes. You cannot, cannot stop at 99 point something miles. Like if you get to 99.5 miles, you literally have to ride circles around a parking lot to make it to 100 I don't know how far back from 100 that it goes, but definitely in 99 territory, you do. But the rule, and now I had a lot of rules when I was first taught how to bike race, but the rule was once you hit 100 miles, you could eat whatever it was you wanted the rest of the day. It was like, you could have the full pizza, 16 inches, just eat the whole damn thing. That's that's your prerogative. You rode 100 miles. You rode 95 miles. No, no, no. Now you have to pay attention to what you eat. But at 100 miles, we hit this, this magic thing where we are like, let's get into the burritos. Let's get into the, the pizzas. Why 
are burritos such a cycling thing that they end up on Zwift? You know, where did we become burrito obsessed? When can we stop talking about Chipotle? Yeah, was it pre? I don't know. Did they did they just mark drill that marketing into our brains? It was maybe not quite as as prominent of a thing pre Chipotle. I remember Chipotle being the biggest best thing ever to happen to bike racing like 10 years ago. Yeah. It's the fact that they're easy to find and they're always fine. I think is one of the things, you know. You can find one you're going to find that in a subway in every town. Which one are you going to want to go to mid-ride? <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't get into cycling when I lived on the West Coast, and so I had never really eaten at a Chipotle because you don't need to. There's plenty of burrito spots everywhere. So Chipotle, to me, has been like a cycling thing, and I, I always think of the team. Um, was it Garmin Chipotle, Matt? What, what was the... Yeah, it was... And then... Uh, the, yeah. And, Garmin Chipotle, maybe Sharp came after. I don't know what the order of it. Yeah, and they had what? And they had the burrito, right? The burritos sticking out of the dress. I think that the reason burritos and cycling go together is is like form, like 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 it fits in your jersey pocket. It could also fit in your bottle cage. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, it is a very good food to eat with your hand on the bike. Like it's just it it is it is a pretty good match. You know, I, I I like it. I'm into it. IPA. I don't know what the obsession is with IPA. You know, India Pale Ale, my neighbor down the street, he he's English, so you have to forgive him that. But he's like, oh my God, IPA is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Blah, 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 blah. I'm partial to Saison's. you know, because I, or, or a good Belgian country ale. Like, I love it. Absolutely. Greatest thing that's ever happened. But, you know, you get all these bike racers, you end up at the Iron Hill Brewery after Westchester, and it's just like, okay, who's got the IPA? And you're just like, well, we can do something else other than IPA. And it's like you're talking sacrilege. I don't I don't understand it, and I want to understand it. I like, I really want to be a part of their world. Do you think Tom Gibbons rocks the IPA? I know, Bodie, you have some history with him. I... I'm trying to remember. I've I've had a few meals with Tom Gibbons, and we had a few beers, and I I can't remember what we had. I I will tell a, a quick story at the Littleton Twilight post race because it ends so late. You know, it's the middle of summer. That after the race, we were drinking some beers in the parking lot, and I don't know what time it was, but I maybe it was around midnight, and my friend Travis jumped on his bike and sped away to the nearest like gas station because they were about to stop selling beer so that we can continue drinking beers post crit in the parking lot uh with the automatic team so um i don't i think i don't think he got an ipa i think he got whatever he could grab um from the before they shut down but uh i'm not a fan of ipas so miss me all day never have uh pretty sure i'm allergic to most beers um so so if you see i don't know if you can see i am my club uh former sponsor uh in in new orleans urban south brewery they make a ton of different beers and they introduced me to sour beers and this is a goza it's a lime cucumber goza 
And so when they sponsored our team, we would get coolers, coolers of lime cucumber goza for post races. And it was amazing because it's, as I said earlier, like those micheladas, it's, it's refreshing, it's light, it has a little booze in it, so you're feeling good. It's got a little salt, so you're getting that, you know, that, that, that satisfying that craving. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm up, I'm up a post-ride sour beer, I think is, is the way to go. That sounds like a great sponsor. I agree. I'd be happy to crack one every 10 minutes in the pot if they're <laughs> sending it over. Yeah. We should really like, uh, see if they could do the whole wide angle podium. You know, we could market, we could market this worldwide. We've got three star here in DC. That's one of the big breweries here. We also have a lot of cideries that have started to kick up because apple orchards are a big thing out in Virginia. So, you know, Mount Defiance Cidery and a couple others are big there. Matt, what's what's going on in, in Minneapolis? I'm sure the microbrew scene there is through the roof. Oh yeah. There's there's a new there's a new brewery that opens. I think I think it's every ten seconds a brewery opens is the uh, at least it was pre pandemic. They're they're everywhere. Yeah. And a few sponsoring teams and stuff, so and cideries. So yeah, it's same. It's everywhere. Now, I've saved the last most controversial topic for the closing minutes here. Wait, wait, Rob, hang on, hang on. Before we get there, while we're talking about post-ride beers, can I can I tell you guys about the drink that I invented? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The post-ride drink. So sometimes maybe in your training plan or you don't want to indulge in the post-ride beer um, or alcohol but you're at the you're at the restaurant bar with your your teammates um, and you're looking for a good drink. This is what I get. You go to the bartender, you go, give me a pint glass, salt the rim, fill it with ice, soda water, cranberry juice, and a lime. Boom. There's your post-ride refreshing beverage. The salt on the rim is key. What do we call this drink? That's a good that's a good question, Rob. I don't know. I've never I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't have a good name suggestion, but I feel like this is an ask slow ride tweet that's going to be coming out within the next twenty four hours. <laughs> totally should. Well, I'll brainstorm on it. We'll get the the other guys on it. We'll figure it out. <laughs> this, I've always wanted to be a part of the slow ride podcast uh, Slack channel because I feel like the discussions that happen in that Slack channel <laughs> are are cycling. That is that is cycling. Uh. It's a lot of just nonsense theories and stuff, but pizza. Yes. Pizza is the food that makes bike racing, that makes all team sports work, that makes all communal activities work. If we didn't have pizza, I don't think that we would have the functioning society that we have. <laughs> I'm on I'm on record. I'm on record as saying that Chicago-style thin crust pizza is the best. Wow. I've gotten a lot of hate for it. Bold. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of hate for it. Uh, all the Ohioans out there think that they have the right to thin crust pizza that's cut into squares, but it's really a Chicago thing. I know, Michael, you have a few strong opinions about pizza, so... I'm going to let you start and talk about what is the best pizza. Look, I'll I'll just back up and say that pizza is the perfect food. So I, I kind of think that you really can't go wrong. 
Um, I know sometimes you're eating pizza and you're sometimes eating a pizza like food. As I said earlier, like I like eating and I will try anything once. So any style of pizza is pretty much fair game to me. Um, but I think, you know, my go to is a place in New Orleans called Pizza Delicious. And I think they are a New York style, st- you know, style pizza. And what we usually get our go to is pepperoni. They have marinated in sriracha jalapenos and then pineapple. That's that's my go to. So in that I, I'm a pineapple pizza guy. I love pineapple on pizza. I grew up with it. I think it is a perfect topping and it's probably one of the best toppings. Matt, you guys on the most recent episode uh, or one of the most recent episodes of the Slow Ride podcast grabbed a hold of that niche market that is sponsorship controversial with American pizza companies. And I think that it might be the most genius portion of the show aside from goose or bike no thank you which genius i can't wait for the second edition of (laughs) goose or bike i'll go working on that i nearly crashed actually while riding my bike listening to (laughs) goose or bike but because you were scared because you thought there was a goose behind you right i i was afraid there was i was afraid there was a fat bike behind (laughs) me it just turns out that i can't tell the difference but Tell me, tell me about how that whole thing came together, how you guys came up with the genius that was that segment on, on pizza and, and teams. Well, people probably heard that Remco Evan Pohl, hopefully I'm pronouncing that somewhat right, got somehow is the face of Pizza Hut in Belgium, which is amazing on so, with so many levels for us. Uh, us ha- none the three of us have even been to Belgium. Um, the fact that we we didn't know Pizza Hut was in Belgium, I sometimes imagine Pizza Hut barely even exists anymore anywhere. So amazing that they're signing bright young stars like Remco, and just the fact that if if Pizza Hut's getting one, getting a pro cyclist, I think all the American we were thinking all the American pizza chains have to double down and get their own cyclist to fill that coveted slot of a skinny European, most likely, to promote your pizza. It's it's a logical conclusion, I think. Absolutely. There is a, I don't want to say potentially apocryphal story, because I think it's been confirmed about Mayor Pete Buttigieg, now the Secretary of Transportation for the Biden administration, you know, huge cyclist, you know, former mayor of of uh, South Bend, Indiana, former presidential candidate. He's been caught multiple times now. Caught is such a pejorative term, but he's been <laughs> spotted on Capital Bike Share bikes multiple times now, getting around DC. And uh, if you're if you're to believe Twitter, which I've got up in front of me. Uh, a woman in D.C. was selling uh, used bikes last week and met a customer at the Petworth Pizza Hut to sell a used bike. And she was waiting for a person when a couple of black government SUB, SUVs pulled up and then a couple more pulled up and out popped Secretary Buttigieg in the parking lot of the Pizza Hut to pick up a used bike from a woman. So clearly we know that the Remco Evanopol Pizza Hut deal has made progress because now we're using the Pizza Hut yeah. parking lots 
for our transactions. It's bearing fruit. This is for this sure. Is... And I'm sure that's some soft <laughs> diplomacy just with, with, with Belgium that I'm I'm not really sure the angles they're working on that, but I'm sure <laughs> that we we needed to we need to ask a favor of Belgium soon. And so I'm sure Biden said, Hey, buy that bike in a Pizza Hut parking lot. I can see that. It will it'll play big in Belgium. I can see that. Belgium is have either of you ever been? No. <laughs> I've never been either. And I believe it's this fantasy fairy tale land. I want to go there so badly. I imagine it's a lot like Iowa because when the Belgians come over and do Jingle Cross, they're all in rapture about how wonderful Iowa is. And so it makes me imagine that it's just, um, you know, the geography, it's a little different, the, the way that their their villages and, and farming and farming communities set up is different than Iowa. But I imagine that to they seem to be so in love with Iowa that I imagine it's it's just like a more close together Iowa, which isn't the worst thing, but also maybe to fly across the world for it might be a letdown but i could be wrong i bet it would be nice so let's end here with this very very last thing i know matt you are a personal fan of the great city of st louis <laughs> huge fan <laughs> we're going to we're going to talk about the worst ever kind of pizza <laughs> the worst ever pizza made and it it's your choice where you go but since you know, since I'm the host of the show, I'm going to go first. I think the worst pizza in all of America is St. Louis style pizza because they do not use cheese. They use, I believe it's called Prevel. It's synthetic cheese. And so if you go to certain pizzerias in St. Louis, they will have this synthetic disgusting half cheese monstrosity. And I mean, I've been critical of New Haven pizza before too, because it's just chewy where it's not supposed to be chewy and crunchy where it's like not supposed to be crunchy, but like Prevel cheese (laughs) that takes the cake. I know I'm going to be uninvited from Gateway Cup. I'm really upset about this, but like, I got to say it out loud. It's just awful. (laughs) Absolutely awful. What is the, I don't know about this St. Louis pizza, this Prevel cheese. What is the rationale behind why why do they do that there? I don't know. You know, Chicago used to dump all of its sewage into the river and send it down to St. Louis. Maybe they're just upset about that still. I'm not sure. Yeah. No, it's, St. Louis has got a chip on its shoulder. <laughs> um. <laughs> what is, little guy, well, I don't... what's your least favorite? I haven't had this St. Louis pizza. Maybe it would be my least favorite. Though I don't I don't eat dairy either. So maybe I would love St. Louis pizza. Um strangely, maybe I'm finding a reason to go back to St. Louis now. I I'm, I'll probably still avoid it. Though the City Museum is amazing. I was about to say that you got to take you got to take Tom Boone and Tom Boone and Allen to the City Museum. That is the best thing going. Yeah. That's true. I would I would go back to St. Louis to take him to the City Museum because the City Museum is one of the greatest things in America. Um, so St. Louis has got something going for it for sure there. And it has a Revolutionary War battle. Really? Yeah, there is a historic marker on, I believe, Olive Street right by the Hilton Hotel uh, memorializing a battle during the Revolutionary War. Matt, I'm just realizing that, you know, you're you're at the the headwaters of the Mississippi and I'm, I'm down here at, at, at the mouth and that maybe 
we should meet in St. Louis and try this pizza <laughs> and go to Gateway. Yeah, meet me in St. Louis. If I mean they probably <laughs> they probably serve pizza in the cafe at the city museum. So that would be a totally acceptable way <laughs> to do it. Just jet in, go to the, the coolest place in town and get out as quickly as possible. Michael, tell us, close out the show, the worst of the worst. You know, it's it's hard. Like once again, I, I think pizza is the perfect food. So I think even when it's pretty bad, it's it's still pretty good. But I did have a pizza once. There, it's a place in New Orleans, um, a place you get pizza pretty late at night. And one time, late at night, after some beers, um, I got I ordered a pizza and I, I I got it delivered. And there was a mound of shredded cheddar cheese in the middle of the pizza that hadn't melted. <laughs> and <laughs> first of all, I mean, like it's unmelted cheese in the pizza. What's going on here? And also, is cheddar? Who puts cheddar on a pizza? Um, but I ate it. And you know, like I said, like it was pretty bad, but I ate it. It was still pretty good. So, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything that's too bad. I, I will eat it, Rob. I will eat the St. Louis pizza. I really like the idea that they just ran out of whatever cheese they were usually using, and they looked around the kitchen and they're like, "Well, we got to <laughs> fill in this gap somehow." They're pretty drunk. They won't notice. <laughs> it's it's a thing in New Orleans, and it boggled my mind when I first moved here. Was that they will put shredded cheese on hamburgers. Oh. Um, and oftentimes it's not, it doesn't melt because they don't like cook it with, they just put it on oh. and put your burger together. Huh. So I think it, it's part of a culinary tradition in New Orleans. Um, but yeah, I will say, and I'll, I'll say this, speaking of, to keep it topical, uh, Pizza Hut sponsoring Remco, Pizza Hut did come out with a Detroit pizza. They're doing that. And I very much am in the targeted audience for something like that. And I saw the ad and I, I hooked me in and I placed an order online. I went and picked up it. The box looks cool. I opened up the pizza. It looked cool. A lot of sauce on top. I like the sauce. I bit into it and I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Pizza Hut. <laughs> just, it's not good. I was like, this is just, I forgot why Domino's is way better than Pizza Hut. Um, so that was probably the worst pizza I ate recently, Rob. Hot takes here from Michael Bodekheimer. <laughs> guys, thank you so much for being on the show. I can't wait to hear what you guys say and have coming up next on the slow ride or on the, the media pit. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud member of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Head on over to WideAnglePodium.com to learn more about this show and all the other shows on the network. Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. Next week, we've got a show that's been literally months in the making. It's a special compilation interview with Team Cliff Bar about... Team Cliff Bar. So I'm joined by Connor Mullervy, Kevin Mullervy, Zach Allison, and Chris Stewart to talk about their team, their bikes, their goals, their ambitions, what it means to be a member of Team Cliff Bar. 
So I hope you'll join us again here next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation.